Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. My name is Sylvie, and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to Transalta Corporation's second quarter 2021 results conference call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star then number one on your telephone keypad. And if you would like to withdraw your question, simply press star then number two. Thank you. And I would like to turn the conference over to Kier Valentini, Managing Director of Strategic Finance and Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Great. Thank you, Sylvie. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Transalta's second quarter conference call. With me today are John Cousinuras, President and Chief Executive Officer, Todd Stack, EVP Finance and Chief Financial Officer, and Carrie O'Reilly Wilkes, EVP Legal, Commercial and External Affairs. Today's call is being webcast, and I invite those listening on the phone lines to view the supporting slides that are posted on our website. A replay of the call will be available later today, and the transcript will be posted to our website shortly thereafter. All of the information provided during this conference call is subject to the forward-looking statement qualification set out here on slide two. Details further in our MD&A and incorporated in full for the purposes of today's call. All amounts referenced during the call are in Canadian currency unless otherwise stated. The, the non-IFRS terminology used, including comparable EBITDA, funds from operations, and free cash flow are also reconciled in the MDA for your reference. On today's call, John and Todd will provide an overview of the quarter's results, along with our expectations for the balance of year. After these remarks, we will open the call for questions. With that, let me turn the call over to John. Thank you, Kiara. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining our second quarter call. As part of our commitment towards reconciliation, I want to begin by acknowledging that Transalta's head office, where I am today, is located in the traditional territories of the Nitsitapi, the people of the Treaty 7 region in southern Alberta, which include the Siksika, the Pagani, the Kainai, the Tsutsina, and the Stony Nakoda First Nations, as well as the home of Métis Nation Region 3. We've had another outstanding quarter. I'm extremely pleased with the performance of our company and the progress that we have made in advancing our priorities. In Q2, we delivered a 39% increase in comparable EBITDA, which has resulted in a 55% increase in free cash flow per share quarter over quarter. And year to date, we have generated a 40% increase in comparable EBITDA, which has resulted in a 38% increase in free cash flow per share year over year. Based on our strong year-to-date performance, along with our expectations for the balance of the year, we're pleased to increase our EBITDA and pre-cash flow guidance for 2021 by 13% and 22%, respectively, at the midpoints compared to the original guidance we provided for 2021. Todd will provide more details on our revised guidance later in the call. Our access to liquidity remains strong, and we're able to fully fund our remaining conversion to gas at Key Pills 3, as well as our growth pipeline, and we continue to achieve improved safety performance year over year. Our performance this quarter was driven by operational and optimization excellence across the fleet, which enabled us to capture the higher prices experienced in Alberta. 
the Alberta team has developed key operating strategies that ensure our fleet has high availability during periods of increased demand so that we're able to provide reliable power when it is most needed. For the second quarter in a row, our Alberta hydro and thermal segments have demonstrated the underlying value of our diversified Alberta fleet. Energy marketing also had an excellent quarter with strong trading results our US, across our U.S. power and natural gas desks. During the quarter, we also progressed a number of our key priorities. In late July, we announced that we had reached an agreement to provide BHP Nickel West with a 48-megawatt hybrid solar and battery energy storage solution. The project will reduce BHP's greenhouse gas emissions at Leinster and Mount Keith in Western Australia by 540,000 tonnes of CO2 over the first 10 years of operation. This project is a concrete example of Transalta supporting our customers' um, drive to achieve their ESG goals. In early May, we announced our 130-megawatt Garden Plain wind project, which is contracted to Pemina Pipeline, and is another example of how we're focused on enabling our customers to achieve their ESG goals. We advanced construction of our 207-megawatt Windrise project. As of June 30th, the facility was 88% complete, and we expect to achieve COD during the fall of 2021. In Q2, we completed a contract extension at Sarnia with an anchor and longstanding customer. We continue to advance recontracting discussions with our other industrial customers with whom we expect to execute contracts later in the year. In July, the ISO released draft details for the procurement of capacity in Ontario for 2026 and beyond. We're participating in the consultation process with the ISO, seeking to secure a contract renewal for the facility. At the end of June, we closed the previously announced sale of the Pioneer Pipeline to ATCO, which provided $128 million of proceeds to TransAlta. These funds will be redeployed to our renewables growth program. Our coal to gas conversion of Key Pills 2 began during the quarter and was successfully completed in July. The conversion of Key Pills 2 reduces our carbon emissions by more than half at that unit. And this is another significant milestone for TransAlta if we transition off coal. Sheerness 1 and 2 are now fully off coal and have been registered as gas-fired steam generation assets with the ISO. We advanced our preparations for our Keypill 3 coal to gas conversion, which will start in September. With the completion of this conversion and the closure of the Highvale mine effective December 31, all our Alberta facilities will be generating on lower carbon natural gas at year end. We continue our evaluation of the Sundance 5 repowering in light of the higher costs, the changing supply and demand dynamics of the Alberta market, as well as the evolving regulatory environment. In Q2, we completed an additional competitive tendering process for the engineering, procurement, and construction contract, and we are now reviewing those bid results as well as the overall Sundance 5 repowering project costs. To date, we've delivered over 26 million tons of annual greenhouse gas reductions, representing approximately 8% of Canada's goal of reducing between 292 and 329 million tons of CO2 from 2005 levels by 2030. On the renewables front, we progressed our 300 megawatt White Rock East and West and 200 megawatt Horizon Hill wind projects to an advanced stage and are actively seeking and discussing contracting opportunities to move them into construction. We also added 500 megawatts of renewables to our growth pipeline, which is a continuing focus for our company. And finally, Transalta Renewables was named to the Best 50 Corporate Citizens List, a proud achievement for our team. We are pleased to be able to announce our new Northern Goldfield Solar and Storage Project with BHP, 
The project is the first renewable energy project to be developed under the power purchase agreement we extended with BHP back in October 2020 and initiates the growth of our renewables fleet in Australia. The project comprises two solar farms, totaling 38 megawatts, and a 10 megawatt battery energy storage system. Total construction capital is estimated between 64 and $68 million. This is another concrete example of our customer-centric solution strategy at work. Our goal is to be the supplier of choice for customers who are focused on sustainable growth and decarbonization. The project will be integrated into our Southern Cross remote network in Western Australia. It is our first hybrid solar battery project that integrates our customers' desire for lower carbon intensity alongside the need for reliable power to ensure effective and more sustainable mining operations. Once completed, the project will be one of the world's largest off-grid hybrid networks supporting mining operations and further improves BHP's position as one of the lowest carbon nickel miners in the world. The project is expected to be completed during the second half of 2022 and will generate incremental EBITDA between eight and $9 million annually. On May 3, we launched the Garden Plain project and are extremely excited to have Pembina Pipeline as a new customer. Working with customers like Pembina to develop low-cost, reliable energy solutions in support of their sustainability goals is a cornerstone of our strategy. As we've announced, the project will have 130 megawatts of capacity and is supported by an 18-year agreement with Pembina for 100 megawatts of the capacity and the associated environmental attributes. We expect the project to deliver between 14 and 18 million in comparable EBITDA on a full year basis. We have executed the turbine supply agreement for the project and are scheduled to commence construction later this year. We expect the wind facility to reach commercial operation during the latter part of 2022. We remain customer-centered on growth, focused on delivering customized clean power solutions to meet our customers' ESG objectives in the most cost-effective manner. A key element of this goal is expanding our renewables business with the objective of advancing a wind project out of our U.S. wind development portfolio this year. We currently have 500 megawatts of advanced-stage wind project in our growth pipeline, which have the potential to become commercial in the 2023 to 2024 timeframe. We're progressing development activities on Horizon Hill and White Rock East and West, which are located in Oklahoma, and are engaged in exclusive discussions and processes regarding opportunities to contract the output from the facilities. We now have over 2.5 gigawatts of earlier stage opportunities in various geographies with a focus on renewables. Our development team is keeping busy in Canada, Australia, and the United States. I'll now turn it over to Todd to take us through our financial results for the quarter. Thanks, John. <clears throat> we had an outstanding quarter, and our diversified fleet continued to deliver strong results with $302 million of comparable EBITDA, driven by robust results in our Alberta electricity portfolio and our energy marketing business. Strong EBITDA results are reflected in our free cash flow numbers for Q2. In the quarter, we generated $138 million, or $0.51 cents per share, of free cash flow. On a year-to-date basis, the company has generated $612 million of EBITDA, and $267 million of free cash flow. We are extremely pleased with our performance so far this year. With the expiry of the PPAs, both our Alberta Hydro and Alberta, uh, and Alberta Thermal segments benefited from strong pricing in the Alberta market, as well as from the great work of our asset management and optimization teams. EBITDA from our Hydro fleet continued to significantly outperform this quarter, realizing an over three-fold increase from $29 million in 2020 to $96 million this year. 
EBITDA from the Alberta thermal segment also significantly increased year over year, from $30 million in 2020 to $85 million this year. Although I note that realized cash flow at Alberta Thermal continues to be impacted by the planned sustaining capital expenditures related to our conversions to gas. Our energy marketing team delivered another strong quarter in line with excellent results delivered in Q2 of 2020. The production from our wind and solar segment was lower than 2020 due to lower wind resources across all regions. This impact of lower wind resource was partially offset by the addition of the Skookumchuck facility. Results from the North American gas segments were below, uh, segment uh, were below expectations due to unexpected outages at our Sarnia facility. The decrease in EBITDA was partially offset by the addition of the ADA facility and higher realized pricing in Alberta at the Fort Saskatchewan plant. Centralia's EBITDA decreased by $13 million compared to the same period in 2020, mainly due to the retirement of Centralia Unit 1 at the end of 2020, as well as planned and unplanned outages, which necessitated power purchases during high merchant pricing to meet contractual obligations. Cash flow decreased by $16 million compared to the same period in 2020 as a result of the timing of planned major maintenance as we are setting up the plant for its final run to retirement at the end of 2025. Overall, Transalta delivered outstanding back-to-back quarters, and we are very pleased with both the results across our diversified fleet and the realization of the potential of our Alberta generating fleet. I want to thank all of our employees for their contributions in achieving these results. I'm going to spend a few minutes on the next slides uh, to discuss two of our core businesses, our Alberta electricity portfolio and Transalta Renewables. Turning to slide 11, our Alberta wind, hydro and thermal facilities are dispatched as a portfolio to benefit from base load and peaking energy sales. During the quarter, our Alberta portfolio generated over 3,000 gigawatt hours of production and realized $352 million in revenue, including our Alberta wind fleet. Power prices in Alberta and in other western regions were significantly impacted by the warmer weather experienced in Q2. As is typical during periods of extreme weather patterns in Alberta, wind production was significantly reduced. This reduction of supply during peak demand periods was anticipated and our teams ensured that our dispatchable capacity was available to meet the increased provincial load. In June, with temperatures soaring and extreme heat, power prices averaged $141 per megawatt hour. The strong pricing in June contributed to the average pool price for Q2 settling at $105. In the quarter, the Alberta Thermal Fleet generated approximately 2,400 gigawatt hours with an average realized price of $93 per megawatt hour. Our realized price was slightly lower than the average settled pool price due to the impact of our hedging program. In the quarter, we had hedged approximately 1,700 gigawatt hours of base load capacity, or approximately 71% of our expected thermal production, at an average price of $62 per megawatt. The combination of our hedge revenues and our peaking sales from periods of high market demand and disruption resulted in revenues at Alberta Thermal being significantly higher than 2020. For the balance of the year, we expect similar total production of approximately 2,300 gigawatt hours in each of Q3 and Q4. With hedges more more heavily weighted to the near term, we have approximately 1,800 gigawatt hours hedged in Q3 and 800 gigawatt hours hedged in Q4. We continue to see strong forward prices for the balance of the year, and the Alberta thermal segment continues to retain significant open capacity in order to realize potential higher pricing experienced during times of peak market demand. As we complete the transition of our thermal fleet to gas, we expect to see significant reductions in our carbon compliance costs, 
In Q2, roughly 40% of our production at Alberta Thermal was from coal firing at our unconverted units. Currently, our coal generation uh, carries a carbon burden of about $27 per megawatt hour. By contrast, the carbon burden on a fully converted gas unit is significantly less at about $8 per megawatt hour. In Q2, we incurred a total carbon compliance cost at Alberta Thermal of $37 million. Had the conversion program been fully completed, the same production would have incurred approximately 50% of the compliance costs. Turning to hydro, the ability of hydro to capture peak pricing was again demonstrated in Q2, with average realized prices of $133 per megawatt hour, which represented a 27% premium over the average spot price. This premium was consistent with the premiums realized in Q1, as well as in high price periods in 2019 and 2020. Energy and ancillary volume, volumes at hydro were broadly in line with expectations for the quarter, but gross revenues benefited from strong realized pricing and exceeded our expectations for the quarter. For the balance of the year, we expect Alberta spot prices to settle at approximately the $80 level. The higher average prices experienced year-to-date have largely been a result of market disruptions, higher demand stemming from extreme weather, unplanned generator outages, tie line outages, and a low wind resource. I'd now like to provide an update on our subsidiary TransAlta Renewables. As you're aware, our operating wind and solar assets, as well as the majority of our contracted gas assets, are held within TransAlta Renewables and are fully consolidated in TransAlta's results. On April 1st, we completed the transfer of the economic interest in the Skookumchuck Wind and the ADA co-generation facilities from TransAlta to TransAlta Renewables. The economic benefit of these transactions was effective as of January 1st, and the year-to-date results of these facilities are included in the Q2 results. Comparable EBITDA for the quarter and full-year expectations were impacted by a number of factors, including unplanned outages at Sarnia, which impacted steam supply to our customers, and lower wind production due to variability in wind resource. Although steam supply disruptions of this nature are atypical and infrequent, these interruptions resulted in a provision for liquidated damages, which we expect to resolve later this year. In addition, wind production in the first half of the year was at 92% of long-term average, with lower wind resource experience across all operating regions. We also took the decision to accelerate the acquisition of a critical spare at South Headland to ensure reliability for customers, which will impact our full-year sustaining capital. In light of these events, the company is revising our previously issued guidance for TransAlta Renewables for the 2021 fiscal year. Comparable EBITDA for 2021 is now estimated to be between 470 and 500 million, and cash available for distribution to be in the 260 to 290 million dollar range due to the lower EBITDA and the planned acceleration of the acquisition of a spare turbine for the South Headland facility. In terms of growth, we expect TransAlta Renewables to acquire an economic interest in the recently announced BHP solar project referenced earlier, as TransAlta Renewables has the right to invest in any expansion project related to its current assets. The Northern Goldfield Solar and Storage Project investment was approved by the TransAlta Renewables Independent Board members, and the company looks forward to adding the first renewable generation assets to the Australian fleet. We also anticipate that the Garden Plain project that John also referenced earlier would make an excellent drop-down candidate for TransAlta Renewables in the near future, given it's anchored by a long-term PPA and a strong counterparty. We also continue to seek additional renewables projects to add to our fleet through M&A and TransAlta's development pipeline. 
Overall, Transalta Corp has, has had an outstanding year-to-date performance, which, when considered with our expectations for the balance of the year, permits us to increase our EBITDA and free cash flow guidance for 2021. We are now estimating comparable EBITDA to be between 1.1 and 1.2 billion, representing a 13% increase at the midpoint of the range versus our previous guidance. This EBITDA expectation allows us to increase our free cash flow guidance range to 440 to 515 million. This equates to a free cash flow per share of of $1.77 at the midpoint, which represents a 22% increase over our previous guidance. Our free cash flow yield at the midpoint of our revised guidance, using our current trading price of approximately $13, uh, represents a consolidated free cash flow yield of about 13%. In addition to our estimates for consolidated EBITDA and free cash flow, we have revised several other areas of our outlook. First, we are increasing our outlook for gross margin at the energy marketing segment to a range of 170 to 200 million. Second, we have increased our expectations on sustaining capital to 200 to 225 million. The increase in sustaining capital is driven by the acceleration of a spare engine purchase for South Headland facility in Q3, higher sustaining and maintenance capital at our hydro fleet, and slightly increased costs for major maintenance at Keep Hills 2 and Keep Hills 3, largely driven by enhanced COVID-19 safety protocols. And third, we're adjusting our annual price outlook for Alberta to $80 to $100 per megawatt hour. This reflects a balance of year estimate Alberta price of about $80 per megawatt hour. With respect to our expectations for the hydro segment, our initial guidance was based on hydro EBITDA being in the $200 to $225 million range. Based on strong performance to date, combined with our outlook for the balance of the year, we are now expecting the hydro segment to generate EBITDA closer to 300 million. The hydro assets provide Transalta shareholders a unique opportunity to participate in renewable and reliable capacity in the Alberta market. I'm gonna close my remarks on slide 14 and highlight our trend of strong free cash flow performance and the continuing financial strength of the company. In the six months ended June 30th, Free cash flow has exceeded the 75% mark of our 2020 annual results, with six months of of 2021 remaining. Our balance sheet and liquidity remain incredibly strong. We closed the quarter with $2 billion in liquidity, including approximately $650 million of cash. This positions us extremely well to fund future growth. Our senior corporate debt level has been reduced to $1.1 billion, which is below our targeted level and at the lowest level in over five years. When we net off the impact of cash held at Transalta, our deconsolidated net senior debt is about 700 million. This results in adjusted, uh, an adjusted debt to comparable EBITDA of 3.1 times, giving us a robust financial position as we continue through 2021. With that, I'll turn the call back over to John. Thanks, Todd. As I review our 2021 balance of your priorities, we continue to focus on progressing our key goals, including securing a growth project in the United States, completing the construction of Windrise, completing the Keep Hill 3 coal-to-gas conversion, completing the recontracting of our Sarnia facility, advancing our organizational health and equity, diversity, and inclusion initiatives, and delivering 2021 EBITDA and free cash flow on the basis of our revised guidance. I'd like to close by highlighting what I think makes Transalta a highly attractive investment and a great value opportunity. First, our cash flows are resilient and supported by a high-quality and highly diversified portfolio, as evidenced by our year-to-date results. Our business is driven by our contracted wind portfolio, our unique, reliable, and perpetual hydro portfolio, and our efficient thermal portfolio, 
all of which are complemented by our world-class asset optimization and energy marketing capabilities. Second, we're a clean electricity leader with a focus on tangible greenhouse gas emission reductions. Our decarbonization journey has resulted in greenhouse gas reductions that represent close to 8% of Canada's 2030 target. In addition, our focus on removing systemic barriers through our commitment to equity, diversity and inclusion, as well as good governance, places us well ahead as a leader in ESG. Third, we have an extensive and diversified set of growth opportunities, which includes a pipeline of advanced stage projects and a talented development team focused on realizing its value. Fourth, our company has a strong financial foundation. Our balance sheet is in great shape and has ample liquidity to pursue growth. Finally, our people are our greatest asset, and I want to thank all our employees and contractors for the work that they have done to deliver our results this past quarter. We're committed to a company culture where everyone belongs and can bring their best and authentic selves to deliver great results for our company. Transalta is at an exciting time in its development, and we are well positioned for the future as a leader in low-cost, reliable, and clean electricity generation focused on serving and meeting the needs of our customers. As I mentioned in the last quarterly update call, we will be hosting our 2021 Virtual Investor Day on September 28th. At that time, we'll explore with you our strategic plans for 2022 and beyond. With that, I'll turn the call back over to Kiara. Thank you, John. Sylvie, would you please open the call up for questions from Alice? Certainly. Ladies and gentlemen, if you do have any questions, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You will then hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request. And if you would like to withdraw your question, simply press star followed by two. And if you're using a speakerphone, we do ask that you please lift the handset before pressing any keys. Please go ahead and press star one now if you have any questions. And your first question will be from Mark Jarvie at CIBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Uh, thanks, everyone. Um, I just wanted to go to the Sun 5 uh, repowering and just commentary about evaluating. Um, just wanted to see what you're sort of implying there around costs when you're out there looking for, again, at the updated bids. Um, are you implying that the costs can go up from the 900 to 950? And then the second part would be, if, if you don't like where the costs are and, and, and questions around supply demand, like what are the options? It seems like You've you've retired the asset effectively, so that can't maybe you can't do a boiler conversion. So is it simply just all or uh, or nothing in terms of the repowering for Sun Five? Yeah. Um, uh, good morning, Mark. Uh, thanks for the question. So on Sundance Five, so there's a number of questions that that you had in that. Um, in terms of what we were signaling, uh, in terms of the increase in cost we were seeing in the unit, we continue to be broadly aligned uh, there. We went out and uh, did another tender process to, to make sure that we were getting, you know, the best possible cost that we could uh, for the project. Uh, we continue to evaluate going forward. We've made no decisions uh, on, uh, on, you know, finally uh, proceeding with the project. We're for sure looking at kind of the evolution of supply uh, in the province uh, over the course of the coming decade 
and you know, thinking about everything on when it would make sense to bring uh, the unit, which might be exactly as, uh, as currently uh, planned, and also continuing to assess kind of the regulatory environment uh, in terms of the implications of you know, the federal government's uh, approach to, to carbon pricing for new combined cycle gas plants. So that's all in the mix, and that remains uh, uh, live in terms of the assessment that we're doing uh, for that project. Um, in terms of the mothball, um, I think it was on July 28th we made uh, we made the announcement to basically uh, end the mothball. So the unit will not be returning on November 1st. Remember, it hasn't been converted to uh, to a gas unit. It uh, it would have um, been required to run on on coal fired. Uh, generation and as you know we're shutting down the mine at the end of the year um, so really for us this is it's almost an administrative kind of approach uh, we're, we're parking uh, the unit uh, at this point in time no plans to bring it back uh, um, prior to you know making uh, a decision on Sundance 5 and certainly not not making you know any decision to bring it back on on coal nor having made any decision to uh, to do a coal to gas conversion there either but just just to be Clear. You still could go to a plan B and do a, a simple conversion like you did for the key sales units and, and Sunsex if you so chose. That, 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 that would be possible to do there, yep. And, and with the timeline of the first half of 2024, to stick to that target completion date, if that's what you intended, when would you have to make a, a formal decision on fund five of whether or not to go ahead? I, I think just going from memory, it would be sometime later this year, Mark. Okay. And then, um, can you guys provide a bit more context on, on, on the starting issues with the, the steam interruption in terms of whether or not there's any costs still to bear and liquidated damages or essentially what we saw as, as, a, as a hit to the Q2 numbers is all done and there's no forward impact? Yeah, Mark, I, um, um, so we had three very unusual for us, very typical, I think, as Todd said in his comments, we had uh, three outages in, I think, Todd, it was over the course of about three weeks. It was very unusual in terms of um, steam uh, interruptions there. Um, the plant is up uh, and, and running. Um, we're not expecting any um, sort of you know, significant sort of sustaining capital or other capital costs associated uh, with the outages. The liquidated damages are effectively as um, as shown in the financial statements. So effectively, the the event, which was unusual, is contained uh, from our perspective, and uh, we're really proud of the way that we were able to, to work with our customers in Sarnia um, to kind of bring them through uh, the challenge that we were facing and, and be as responsive as we could to their needs. Okay, that's good to hear. And last question, Nick News for Todd. And just in terms of the hybrid solar project in Australia, the economics that you guys have shown in terms of CapEx and EBITDA projections, I assume, is, is sort of like to transalta Corp. How would we adjust those numbers to think through in terms of what that might look like at the Transalta Renewables level in terms of either uh, development premium or associated costs in terms of bringing that asset online, um, just in terms of what that could look like on terms of easy to get the net to Transalta Renewables? Uh, yeah, Mark, I would say in any development fee is, is modest. Um, those economics effectively roll up to uh, Transalta Renewables. Okay, great. Thanks. That's all I had. Thank you. Next question will be from Darius Levney at Bank of America. Please go ahead. Please go ahead, Darius. Hi. Good. Hi. Good morning. Thanks for taking my question. Just wanted to uh, touch on the uh, unplanned outage at Dardia. 
Can you just uh, speak to that a little in a little bit more detail, please? I, I, I know the queue kind of referenced that there were three separate events. So um, just curious if you could give a little bit more uh, clarity as far as um, as far as how those went. Um, we had, uh, I'm, I'm not sure that there's a lot more that I can uh, give you, Darius. We had sort of three technical issues which occurred, um, I think two of them occurred pretty, pretty proximate to each other, and then we had a third one that, we occurred, uh, that occurred uh, subsequently. Um, they weren't related events. They were, uh, they were very much sort of standalone uh, uh, events, and uh, the facility is back up and, uh, and, and running. Uh, at this point in time, Todd, I don't know. If yeah, you color. maybe I'll maybe I'll just add a, a bit more color. Difference. Sure. I mean, steam steam interruptions are extremely um, infrequent and um, and rare in these facilities. As you know, the Cogen facilities, especially Sarnia, is designed with a lot of n minus one duplication reliability um, in order to maintain that steam supply to customers. In this particular case, um, you know, the, the, the first the first outage occurred, and and while they were in the process, they did restore. restore steam supply but not fully restore all of the redundancies in the plant and while they were in that process another event that normally um, would have been covered through redundancy unfortunately all of the redundant systems were not back up and running which triggered another outage and so they were just into a bit of a a bit of a, a catch-up game of trying to get the plant fully restored to all of its uh, all of its n minus one reliability which is why a couple of these events triggered but as john mentioned they were unrelated and it is an extremely rare event and it's just unfortunate that um that all of the redundancies weren't actually available for the second and third events. Okay, no, thank you for that added detail. Um, and one more just on the R&W updated guidance, if I could. Just uh, You referenced some lower than average wind performance for the first half of the year. Can you speak to sort of what's embedded in your expectations for the balance of the year at, at the wind assets and also uh, broadly across the portfolio? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, in wind, you can't um, you can't say that the first half was at 90% and the second half will be at 110. Um, so, so our balance of year forecast is based on a P50 result. So basically, an an average uh, second half wind result. Um, uh, again, we did see a lot of heat in July. So July as well was was a weak wind resource. Um, but the back half of the forecast is based on sort of average production. Yeah, we were at I think 92% in the first half. In the first half. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. I, I'll leave it there. Thank you very much. Thanks, Darius. Thank you. Next question will be from Rob Hope at Scotia Bank. Please go ahead. Uh, hello, everyone. I want to circle back on Sun Five and kind of the evaluation of that project. Um, one point is a clarification: the offtake block with Shell uh, from the Kinetacore turbines. If you are not to proceed with Sun Five, could you port those over to uh, your other portfolio? Yeah, um, Rob, that's a that's a great question. So we do not view the um, the arrangement with Shell as being contingent on any specific unit. So uh, our view is that uh, we would be able to um, um, allocate them, you know, to other areas of the uh, uh, portfolio of generation in the province. And then I guess just more fulsome in terms of a kind of a capital allocation question. You know, Sun Five, if the costs further increase, you know, is a quite a bit of a, a capital spend for you know a good amount of merchant capacity there. When you take a look at the suite of projects that you have, you know, under under the umbrella, you know, are we increasingly seeing you know better 
opportunities on the renewable side and you know if sun 5 doesn't go forward could we see you know increased uh, investment in renewables as well as a potential acceleration of the share buyback yeah rob that's a great question so when we look at sort of sun 5 and we look at sort of the development pipeline that we have um, we tend to look at them kind of at an equivalent level in terms of you know how they compete for capital uh, allocation in the in in the company so when we look at our um, renewables fleet, which to your point would be more bite-sized pieces, uh, more contracted, uh, probably in some respects, you know, lower lower risk, um, it just factors into the way that we're looking at the capital allocation between the two. And in the event that um, we weren't to proceed with Sun 5 or it ends up being developed in a different uh, kind of manner, there would potentially be more capital to uh, to accelerate kind of the renewable side of the equation. In terms of um, share buybacks, I mean, Todd, you can comment about that too, but, you know, we're very much focused on doing that when we think, you know, it makes sense to based on the trading price of the of the shares. And, you know, we've typically bought them at prices sort of at a sub $10 uh, a level. And, you know, given where we're trading right now, um, the share buybacks aren't, uh, and I don't want to put words in Todd's mouth, kind of a priority for us. I, I, actually, I think that's that's a fair characterization that we see a lot of good opportunities to deploy capital. Um, certainly, our capacity to buy back shares is there to you know support the stock and buy it back at opportunistic prices. Okay, and then just one follow-up question: the the Headland settlement that uh, was struck in May. Any updates uh, there in terms of progress and Wells potential uplifting EBITDA? Sure, I might I might Rob I might turn that over to Carrie. Hopefully, you can hear her here. Hi, Rob. Nice to, nice to hear from you. Um, we're still in the process of finally finalizing the settlement, um, and we should do so in the imminent um, in, in the coming weeks. Thank you. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. Next question will be from Morris Choi at RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thanks very much, and good morning. Uh, my first question is just also another follow-up on Sundance 5. It sounds like everything is uh, remains on the table, including a boiler conversion like Sun 6. Um, but within your list of options that are in front of you, is there any contemplation to repower the project using newer and more efficient technology instead of the ones, instead of turbines from Kineticor? And to that end, how marketable is it to sell the kinetic core turbines that you bought back in 2019? Yeah, um, Maurice, uh, good morning. Thanks for that. Um, you, you know, look, we, we, we are looking at, at Sundance 5, including sort of the competitiveness of the unit, you know, in light of the, the new build that is being proposed uh, to, be, to be added to the province over the course of the next seven uh, or eight years or so, which is, which is pretty significant. Um, we're still at an evaluation phase. I wouldn't say that we've made any kind of decisions in terms of, you know, replacing the class of turbines that we have, for example, a different class of turbine uh, or, you know, turbines that would have a dual fuel capability, for example. So I don't want to speculate in terms of, you know, where that, um, where that would land. And, uh, and at this point in time, you know, wouldn't comment on, on um, you know, not proceeding with the project and, and what, We'd be able to recoup for uh, for the existing there. Fair enough, and and not that I want to tee up the September 28th event, but is it likely that we'll hear more about that on that day in terms of decision making, or is it more like end of year type of decision? We're we're working hard to be able to provide more clarity, certainly by uh, by investor day, Maurice. 
Great. And and just to finish off, um, I wanted to just come back to energy marketing. Um, obviously, the guidance has been improved to 170 to 200, and that represents an upward trend from 120 back in 2018, 140 in 2019. Uh, I recognize that some of these stronger performances are more circumstantial sometimes based on different years, uh, but is there a sign of a more permanent change in the profitability of this segment moving forward? I'm going, to, I'm going to turn that over to my friend uh, Todd, who uh, who oversees the group. Yeah, yeah. Good morning. I'm 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 not sure. Like like certainly the floor is well positioned to take advantage of of opportunities that present themselves in the market, and and really the regions we're talking about here are the western and eastern uh, U.S. markets as well as natural gas across North America, and really what it takes there is is um, is market opportunity, and so volatility is one of the key things that they look for. Price dislocations. Um, and really the opportunity to, to source power, to source energy in one jurisdiction and move it to another. And that's predominantly how, how the team looks to, to generate profits. And that's something that we've seen, whether it's from you know, heat waves in certain areas or cold periods in, in, in other parts of the times of the year, um, you know, even, even quite frankly, you know, you know, forest fires and other disruptions of, of transmission and et cetera, give the teams opportunity to look for margin by moving power around and arranging transport and transmission. So I would say volatility is what creates the opportunity. Um, and, you know, renewables is a big part of that volatility as well. So so I would say we are seeing, you know, structural changes that, that could see an upward upward shift in that, that number. Yeah, and I, I just think, I think, Todd, with the increasing heat that we've seen over time in that part of the world and and uh, you know, increasing demand, the change of the generation mix certainly volatil- volatility has increased, and, and the floor thrives on that. Yeah. Fair enough. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question will be from John Mould at TD Securities. Please go ahead, John. Hi. Morning, uh, everybody. Um, maybe just to uh, circle back to Sun Five again. Um, you know, looking back at your Q1. Uh, disclosures, you know, you'd referenced issuing full notice to proceed later this year. Um, so, you know, obviously that language has been, um, you know, pulled back a little bit, I guess. You know, what's changed since May in your, your you know, broader outlook for the project, either, you know, in the power markets, the regulatory outlook, be it the, you know, maybe a CCUS requirement down the road or, or, or build cost picture that's just maybe, you know, made you take a bit of a step back this quarter? Yeah, um, you know, John, um, I think it's a great question. I think it's a lot of things. So, you know, when when you look at the project, I mean, we're very much looking at, and I'll just give you an example, you know, carbon pricing going to $170, um, seeing, you know, the federal government signal that the performance standard for new gas, like uh, a Sun uh, 5, would actually decline to zero by a 2030 uh, time period in terms of, you know, just directionally where, where they're going and, and, you know, seeing that being fully exposed to the carbon price uh, as it's increased over the coming years. Um, we're very mindful of load growth in the province and, and looking at the increase in the, um, uh, the amount of uh, proposed generation, both uh, on the gas side and on the renewable side and, and, and working to understand the implications of that uh, for generation in the province, you know, as we go forward. So it's really a, um, it isn't any one thing, John. It's, it's a confluence of, uh, of things that I think we're, we're prudently looking at uh, in the context of making the right decision for our shareholders. 
Okay, great. Thanks and, for that. And, and, then, and, and go ahead. I, w- I would just add that, you know, CCS is, is also a pretty big uncertainty. I mean, it is, um, it is expensive technology. Uh, you know, our assessment would have the cost of CCS, CCUS, be at least equal to the cost of the actual repowering uh, of the project. And um, it isn't, you know, necessarily the case that the technology associated with that is, you know, a fait accompli. So I, I just, I wanted to sort of give you a bit of a complete picture. Okay, thanks for that. And then turning turning to Sarnia and the, you know, the recontracting outlook there, I just wonder, you know, about your thoughts on how the the recontracting outlook there has been informed at all by the the recent um, annual acquisition report that the ISO published. Yeah, it's a great it's a great question. Um, so for us, there's really three elements to Sarnia, and and uh, I can I can turn it over to Carrie to add any color if I uh, if I omit anything. You know, one is uh, we do have the Blue Water Energy Park there, and we're working hard to actually. Uh, expand uh, off takers on the facility and we're, we're having some success in doing that certainly uh, over the course of the quarter we're, we're expecting um, you know some of the crypto miners to be interested in that and, and we're seeing some success in terms of supplementing the cash flows there Two, as we indicated in the uh, in the quarter uh, we are focused on recontracting with our four major uh, off takers there we have completed one um, discussions are advancing well with the other three uh, and it's kind of good just to have, um, you know, one of them done and creating kind of a good template and sort of a benchmark in terms of pricing uh, for the facility as we go forward. And we're pleased with how that uh, has gone and is going. Uh, and then finally, it's, um, you know, the ongoing discussions with the ISO. Um, we're, we're actually pretty optimistic uh, about our ability to um, recontract uh, a chunk of that plant uh, with the ISO. It uh, is located in a part of the province that we understand uh, does have, you know, a power need. It's important in terms of backstopping the needs of industry in that particular region. And um, the size of the offtake that, that at least we understand the ISO was looking at um, is sufficiently large, you know, given what would be available to participate that, that we think it creates a good opportunity for us to, um, to be competitive in that and actually secure something, uh, you know, that underpins the plant going forward. Carrie, I don't know if there's anything else you'd add to that. No, I, I would just note that we're very pleased um, that they've released the guidance. Uh, we appreciate that it's still in the design phase. Um, we're also confident, given that uh, the, the amount of megawatts that will be able to be bid into the process uh, is limited to, um, the opta- to, to providers that will be coming off contract at the same time as Sarnia. And we're working closely hand-in-hand, as, as we always do with the Ontario government, um, with the goal that uh, we provide them with the energy that they need um, and that we are obviously able to contract the facility to provide our shareholders with uh, those returns as well. Okay, uh, great. Thanks for that. And, and maybe just one last one on on uh, your growth pipeline, just looking beyond the, the Oklahoma projects, which I you know understand you're advancing offtake discussions there. Uh, where are you seeing among your mid-stage pipeline the best opportunities to, to secure potential offtake agreements and, and, you know, move those projects forward? Yeah, thank you for that. Um, so we, we think it really falls into um, three areas. Uh, we do think that uh, there um, continue to be opportunities to grow uh, in a similar fashion to what we've seen serving our customers in Australia and our development team there 
uh, continues to work uh, to land that. And I think that might be a little bit of gas, but also potentially additional solar uh, that we're able to do uh, there and even potentially wind, to be honest, uh, uh, in Australia. In Canada, we're pretty excited about the ongoing demand, uh, you know, from industry, institutions, uh, commercial entities uh, for renewables here. Um, we're working hard to advance our wind farms uh, that are under development in the province um, here, and, and I'm thinking of Ripplinger and, and Willow Creek uh, uh, would be just an example of some of the wind farms there. We're also uh, in the early stages of developing solar uh, in the province, both uh, um, um, near Highville and also in the southeastern part of the province, which we also think uh, is something that we could bring forward. And in the U.S., uh, we continue to see um, a lot of opportunity uh, in Illinois with our Prairie uh, Violet project and uh, the team is doing a really good job of increasing our um, opportunity set in PJM where we continue to see really strong uh, PPA offtake demand. So, so it's really, John, all three um, jurisdictions and uh, I'm really pleased with the fact that we now have, you know, defined and identifiable projects uh, that we can specifically kind of feather in uh, in, in the medium term. Okay, great. I'll leave it there. Thanks very much. Thanks, John. Thank you. Next question will be from Andrew Kuski at Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Thanks. Good morning. I, I think in the MDNA, there's a comment that in Alberta, if you were fully converted in your fleet, your carbon compliance costs would be 15 to $20 million lower. So I guess the, the question is more of a broad one. On how do you think about the tension in the market of lower co carbon compliance costs for some like yourselves in a conversion process? versus escalating carbon prices that are happening on a legislative basis. And where do you think clearing prices wind up? Is there an upward bias over time because of the, the carbon prices increasing? But there's also a generation mix that's, that's changing in the province. Yeah, it's a great, it's a, it's a great question, um, Andrew. Maybe, maybe I'll try to answer it this way. I mean, we do, um, so we do think that, um, maybe I'll try to answer it this way. So in general, from a trend perspective, the carbon intensity of the provinces has declined and I think is going to continue to decline. Um, so for sure, I think over time, we will um, um, continue to see that happen. The decline, though, is happening at a rate that is a bit lower than the uh, carbon price is increasing. So we do think that when you get to the sort of the mid and back half of the decade, for sure, there will continue to be an increase in carbon pricing that will be impacted and, you know, and, and showing itself uh, in the price uh, over time, and in part, that's because we're, we're at least our company is presently expecting to see that performance standard for new gas decline uh, over time. So, so we do see a more muted impact, I think, in in the near term. But over time, I think it becomes more and more uh, significant as uh, as you get into certainly 2028, 2029, 2020, uh, 30, and kind of the, the bigger numbers and and um, are there and and it kind of bites into the emissions uh, profile from from whatever natural gas generation exists at that time. I don't know if that answers your question, but it it does. It's it's helpful color. And then maybe flipping to just another part of your portfolio in Alberta. What opportunities do you see for really structured power deals on a renewable basis and being able to capture premium pricing for some 24-7 kind of green power deals? We've, we've seen them in some other jurisdictions. Very few players can offer them because you need a portfolio of assets across the ecosystem to do it. Uh, you yep. seem to have all those things. So what are you seeing on that front? So, so we actually think it's one of the biggest opportunity sets that we actually 
Uh, Sandra, I'm glad you raised this. Um, I'm not sure that you know our 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 off takers at least today are quite there in demanding uh, that product in Alberta. That might change uh, over time, and and you know we're actually seeing a greater focus on that with the mining community in Western Australia, where they're very much you know, interested in reducing their emissions, but also having an element of reliability. And I think in part, that's just due to the remote nature of their operations. So they, you know, they're not tied into the grid. And as a result, it's, it's more of an acute uh, issue with them. But I, but I do think that um, it'll become more important over time. And I think you're right, between our existing wind fleet and certainly our hydro uh, fleet, we do have the ability to shape. And we're actually looking at um, uh, some of the opportunities to add, you know, uh, a pretty meaningful amount of storage potentially tied to existing renewable assets in the province. And that's not just wind, but potentially our hydro fleet that can also help some of that shaping uh, in addition to maybe um, helping meet some of the ancillary services need that the province might have in the future as the renewables build out continues. So hopefully that gives you a bit of a sense. It does. Thank you very much. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. Next question will be from Najee Beydoun at IA Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Um, I know you touched on this earlier, but I just wanted to go back to corporate partnerships. So, you know, so far this year, you've got Garden Plain with Pembina, Goldfields with BHP. Sounds like there's another project or more coming from the US. Do you really see corporate partnerships becoming the path forward for growing your renewable portfolio? And, and if so, what are some of the resources or investments you need to make today to capture those opportunities? Yeah, Najee, um, um, great question. So when we think of our renewables growth, and frankly, the way we're approaching growth, it is very much customer-centered. Uh, so, you know, our, our goal is to actually have our development team, and I think this is where we do best, to actually be essentially embedded uh, with our customers or prospective customers, helping them come up with solutions to meet um, their needs. So um, do I expect our renewables build out to be largely contracted? I do. Do we expect to see more uh, partnerships uh, along the lines of what we have seen? I think we do. And it's something that we uh, talk about uh, explicitly and are spending a lot of time uh, at the company making sure that uh, our whole approach um, to, to dealing with customers is is top of mind. It's actually a, a real focus internally and that's everything from the way we interact with customers to the way that we try to standardize our approaches to make it easier for our teams as we integrate our growth going forward. Okay, that's, uh, that's helpful. And maybe just another question on your development pipeline. Um, still mostly consist of wind opportunities today, but do you believe you need to maybe diversify or add to your development teams to try to uh, get in a bit more into solar and storage? And, and if that's the case, how do you view solar storage in terms of risk-return trade-off versus wind? Yeah, um, so we do have um, uh, storage uh, in our portfolio and are actually in the process now of developing incremental storage uh, uh, not just in the in Australia with what we've just done with BHP, but frankly in Alberta uh, as we go forward, we think the um, the return equation for storage is becoming better uh, all of the time. And and uh, the work that we did with our wind charger uh, opportunity really helped, I think, um, de-risk our own understanding of what we can do with storage in the province and how the economics work. So frankly, we're we're pretty um, uh, pretty positive about storage, notwithstanding the fact that. The cost of storage remains on the high, you know, it's a little bit higher than, than we'd like to see it, but it will trend down. On solar, 
Um, look, the, the, it, it is a highly, highly competitive space. The returns um, tend to be compressed, uh, certainly, compared to the opportunities that we see from a wind perspective. Um, we are, though, focused on developing our own solar and also canvassing potential acquisition opportunities. Um, on the solar side, um, we think it's an important technology for our company to have a skill set in, uh, and, and that remains our focus. It's, it's pretty disruptive, candidly, in some parts of the of the world, and I think as we're looking at the energy transition taking place, it, it, it's important that a company like ours uh, has some solar capabilities. So I think you'll you'll see more of a focus than we've traditionally had on solar in our company. Okay, that's great uh, detail. Thank you. Thanks, Najee. Thank you. Once again, as a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, if you do have a question, you will need to press star one on your touchtone phone. And next question is from Patrick Kenny at National Bank. Please go ahead. Thank you. Yeah, good morning, guys. Um, just a couple follow-ups here. So back on the Alberta Hydro results and the healthy realized price achieved um, relative to spot. I think you touched on it, but can you just clarify how much of a factor the heat wave late in the quarter might have played into, you know, elevating the strong performance there? Or did everything play out as expected and – you know, that 30% or so realized pricing premium over the spot market is is what we should expect from the uh, the portfolio going forward, especially as as it relates to the seasonally uh, strong second quarter. Yeah, I would I would say, Patrick, uh, first of all, good morning. Um, um, I would say that um, I'll try to answer the question maybe in reverse. The kind of premium that we're talking about realizing on the energy side to you know, sort of the spot price from our hydro is, I would say, Todd, broadly – where we would expect our hydro to come in on the energy side. So we would expect it to be broadly, uh, you know, having a premium to spot in terms of kind of the prices that we saw uh, over the quarter, for sure, they were in part uh, due to the high temperatures that we experienced. Um, but, uh, you know, there were um, issues with the inner tie, there were outages that were, they were pretty significant. Load has come back pretty dramatically uh, in the province. So it was a confluence of, you know, a number of events that resulted in, in kind of um, a strength in supply and demand uh, kind of fundamentals over the quarter. Todd, I don't know if you want. Well, I would, I would say nobody expected the really high temperatures that we saw in Alberta in sure. June. Uh, That's right. It was, it was abnormal. As far as the premiums on hydro, it, 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 is, it is somewhat correlated to how volatile the power prices are. If typically in shoulder, shoulder months uh, that we would see in like April, May, we would see more softer prices. More compression. More yeah. compression, which doesn't give you as much opportunity to realize the peak pricing and the super peak pricing in, in hydro. Um, but, but certainly, as John mentioned, there was outages, there were tie line outages, and then driven by you know, demand because of the heat pre presented all of those opportunities. But we typically do see it in, uh, in the winter months where we can realize the premiums, and, uh, and then also in the, in the warm summer months of July and August for sure. Yeah. Okay, that's that's helpful. Thank you. Um, and then just back to Sun Five. So, say it does not proceed, um, can you maybe just help us square up your gas supply commitments on Pioneer and NGTL? I believe it's you know 400 plus million a day starting in 2023. Um, just square up that commitment with your internal gas consumption forecast under a you know boiler conversion only scenario across your Sundance and Keep Hills units. Just want to make sure that, you know, you won't be offside with your commitments if Sun 5 does stay on the shelf for a little while. 
Yeah, and I and I and I um, I wouldn't say that we would be offside any of our commitments. I mean, look, oh, I, Patrick, it's a great question, but I'd be speculating right now in terms of you know uh, how much gas we would need, depending on the decisions that we end up making with um, with Sundance Five, which could um, result in you know it proceeding or it not proceeding or or proceeding in a different way than we've currently sort of uh, anticipated. Um, um, in general, we've got more than ample sort of gas supply, you know, going forward. Um, as we begin our assessment and evaluation of the plant, we do look at the gas supply uh, equation and, you know, the team looks at to the extent we have excess uh, supply, what does it mean in terms of us being able to, to market or remarket uh, those commitments going forward. Um, but but um, hopefully that gives you a little bit of a flavor, Todd. I don't know if you want to add any. Yeah, look, I think, I think there's, there's work to be done. Um, yeah. But again, you know, like like Sun Five was was you know is is part of that that equation as well. Um, but but remember, I mean, we procure gas as well to make sure that we have firm supply for all of the peak days as well. So so that does mean by nature there are going to be days where you're not actually using the the entire firm commitment. So I, I don't see it as a, a a big mismatch or anything at this point in time. And and again, no decision has been made on Sun Five. That's right. Okay, that's great. Appreciate the color, guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you. And at this time, gentlemen, we have no further questions. Please proceed. Great. Thank you, Sylvie. Thank you, everyone. That concludes our call for today. If you have any further questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to the Transalta Investor Relations team. Thanks, and have a great day. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this does indeed conclude your conference call for today. Once again, thank you for attending. At this time, we do ask that you please disconnect your lines. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.